Well, good afternoon. We'll continue on. I was surprised to see um, in, well, just this podcast, 42-ish episodes. Uh, I've been reading the Bhagavad Gita for decades. Um, particularly found a new translation, highly recommend it. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita by Eknath Eshwaran. I apologize if I butchered his name. Excellent job. I really quite enjoyed some of his insights. In fact, I enjoy a good. Uh, I enjoy a good translation because uh, it is difficult, as I've mentioned before in some of the podcasts. It's difficult to get across, uh, particularly when you're translating Sanskrit or Pali, because the words can mean so very, very much. In fact, I'm I'm racking my brain to try to remember a good example. No, well. There's been a couple examples just today alone. But as I said, I was surprised to see that I actually haven't... Um, I mean, I've discussed the Gita. Um, but I haven't mentioned, I guess, specifically. So, let's uh, start there. So, the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it's uh, one of the most famous of all the... Uh, ancient Indian um, stories the number obviously uh, as I was going through it I was noticing uh, chapter 15 actually fits the subject of some of our recent podcasts chapter 15 is the supreme self and as we've been talking about we've been talking about the self uh, and by proxy, or as a as a as mandate, uh, we've also been discussing mind. So it opens with Krishna. Well, I'm sorry if we haven't discussed the Bhagavad Gita. It's a great song. Um, is a story. Uh, it takes place on a battlefield, and it's. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Arjuna, and he's uh, speaking to the god Krishna. And he's being given guidance. So here we are, chapter 15. I know I'm jumping ahead, but it's, it's important because it says so much to the philosophy itself of the Gita, but also based on uh, a number of our recent podcasts. So it opens with Krishna, who says... Sages speak of the immutable Ashvatha tree with its taproot above and its branches below. So this is interesting um, because it's, uh, it's a symbolism used in Buddhism as well. If you've ever seen uh, a tree where you see the roots um, below and, and the branches above, uh, in this case the Ashvatha uh, is used because it actually sends uh, roots out above and below. Now what I find interesting once again with this translation, he does a great job explaining how it has a double meaning. So one, it's talking about the tree and how it is all one being, be it the roots or the branches. 
But also you notice where it says the taproot above with its branches below. Because here's where we're talking, again, Krishna. Krishna is our, well, is the avatar that we interact with. Krishna is also um, the source of that divine spark within us, that Atman in the Hindu that is considered to be a little piece of Krishna that we use to make our way through life. So here, it's interesting that the taproot, right, the main source of nourishment, of succor, of water, of sustenance for a tree, in this case, the taproot above with the branches below, right? Because uh, in the Hindu um, belief system, that's exactly how they see it, right? That uh, we are born, uh, we are uh, made up of all of our little disparate parts, but um, we are imbued with this um, spark, this, uh, this uh, eternal um, self from Krishna. So I enjoy how it says the taproot above and the branches below. And so it goes on and it discusses well, it goes on. On this tree grow the scriptures. Seeing their source, one knows their essence. And on this tree grow the scriptures. He's once again alluding back to you can understand the teachings themselves by witnessing in this case, seeing their source, right? So whether it be a branch or a root, you, can, you know its source to be the tree. And in this case, uh, the truth of the taproot above and the branches below, the truth of us all being part of one giant net in this um, thought system. Once again, uh, is being told within this, right? Uh, on the tree grows the scriptures. You can see this truth. Right, that um, we gain our sustenance from above in this, or we're all one, depending on how you want to see that. And it says, seeing their source, one knows their essence. So once again, it's also a reference to awareness. Right. So if you look at all phenomena, all dharma, all guna, you see their essence as being, you know innately empty of intrinsic uh, substantiation, right? Um, particularly as we've been discussing how thoughts, emotions are born and die away uh, simply within the mind. And so chapter 15 goes on. Nourished by the gunas, the limbs of this tree spread above and below, Sense objects grow on the limbs as buds. The roots hanging down bind us to action in this world. So here we go again. And like I said, it's explaining, right? Nourished by the gunas, nourished by all uh, raja, uh, tamas, and sattva, all good, all things. Uh, good, uh, negative, neutral, uh, passive, uh, aggressive, uh, peaceful, still all phenomena 
all dharmas. Nourish the limbs of this tree as they spread above and below. Now the metaphor for the tree is talking about our attachment to this wheel of becoming, as it's, as it's called. Um, this birth and death and rebirth cycle. It's the same with, uh, with the Hindu pantheon here. It's, the idea is we're born and reborn. And the idea is to reach this ultimate, this ultimate person. Purusha, uh, become one with Ishvara or Nirvana, uh, enlightenment. These sense objects grow on the limbs as buds, right? Again, this world we live in, if we use the tree as metaphor, the buds um, are temporal and impermanent. They come and go. The roots hanging down bind us to action in this world. Our, our roots, our attachments, our aversions are what bind us to this world of birth and death, a world of suffering. And it goes on and says, The true form of this tree, its essence, beginning and end, is not perceived on this earth. Cut down this strong-rooted tree with the sharp axe of detachment. Then find the path which does not come back again. Seek that, the first cause, from which the universe came long ago. Right, so the true form of this tree, its essence, the beginning and the end, is not perceived on this earth. Again, it's talking about this awareness, this understanding that all perceived phenomena are not the ultimate or our true goal. Our true path is this pure awareness. It's becoming one with with all. Cut down this strong-rooted tree with the sharp axe of detachment. Sharp axe of detachment, because as it said, we're, we're bound to this wheel of becoming by these roots we've established with our attachment and our aversion to these buds that grow on the limbs. Seek that, the first cause from which the universe came long ago. That's, that's to get back to at one, recycle your energy, but no longer to be bound to this birth and death cycle. right? In some of the sects, to be uh, moved on to a heaven uh, where you're able to practice free from uh, the the bonds and the suffering of this realm or another. And that's why it says when you cut down that strong rooted tree with the sharp axe of a detachment, you find the path which does not come back again. That's what we're talking about here. Our goal is to end this death and rebirth cycle. And the it goes on. It says, not deluded by pride, free from selfish attachment and selfish desire. Beyond the duality of pleasure and pain, ever aware of the self. 
ever aware of the self. The wise go forward to that eternal goal. Right? So not deluded by pride, free from selfish attachment and selfish desire. Right? It's, it's, uh, it transcends the sect that we're talking about here, right? Selfish desire, selfish attachment. Again, desire, attachment, aversion, based in the self. It's the problem. Self, the self is not the problem. In fact, it is our tool to liberation. So it goes on and says, beyond the duality of pleasure and pain. I love, as I have before quoted, Rudyard Kipling, who said, treat triumph and disaster as the imposters they are. Because what is pleasure or pain but, as we've said, a judgment you form based on attachment and aversion. You attach to pleasure. You're averse to pain. Ever aware of the self, the wise go forward to that eternal goal. That eternal goal is that intrinsic awareness that I discussed from the Bhagavad Duel is that ultimate or pure awareness, the parusha of uh, the Bhagavad Gita or Pantanjali's Yoga Sutra. Neither the sun nor the moon nor fire can add to that light. Again, I've discussed that light is, is commonly used as a metaphor for wisdom. So here's a double metaphor here. That, I mean, the light of the sun, the moon, nor fire pales in comparison to the light of wisdom. But at the same time, nothing of this ephemeral world can, can show you this truth. This, yes, it's, it's presiding truth. It's a truth that can be experienced, this awareness. But it is awareness that is wholly separate from this uh, realm, this samsaric uh, existence within, within these limited um, perceptive uh, bounds. This is my supreme abode, and those who enter there do not return to separate existence. So once again, we got a double meaning. The supreme abode is, like I said, once you've attained and maintained this awareness, that's your supreme abode, kind of like nirvana or enlightenment. Those who enter there do not return to their separate existence. Again, we're talking about trying to be released from this uh, birth and, and death and rebirth cycle. And it goes on. It says, an external part of me enters into the world, assuming the powers of action and perception and mind made of prakriti. So there is a part of us that enters into the world assumes the power of action and perception and with a mind made up of the world. Prakti. It's, it's, it's what makes up our perceptual world. Yes, we walk amongst it, within it. We are one with it. It goes on. It says, when the divine self enters and leaves a body, it takes these along as the wind carries a scent from place to place. Right? So, 
the divine self. Enters and leaves the body. It takes it takes these as if the wind carries a scent from place to place, effortless. invisible, intangibly. Using the mind, the ears, the eyes, the nose, and the senses of taste and touch, the self enjoys sense objects. Right? Once again, you see the double meaning in the previous sentence. When the divine self enters and leaves the body, it takes these along as the wind carries the scent from place to place. The wind is unchanged by the scent it carries. Yet, when we allow our self to enjoy, to take pleasure, to reside in these sense objects, we allow the delusions of prakti to take hold. And no longer are we, right, conveyors of our chariot. We're subject to our mind and her ears, her eyes, her nose, and the sense of taste and touch. And the chapter 15 goes on and says, The deluded do not see the self when it leaves the body or when it dwells within it. They do not see the self enjoying sense objects or acting through the gunas. But they who have the eye of wisdom see, as I said. When you realize that your perception of the sense objects are not a delusion. The delusion is the sense that the self is all there is and that to become engrossed in all of the gunas is our goal. When in fact, the opposite is true. And chapter 15 goes on and says, those who strive resolutely on the path of yoga see the self within. The thoughtless, who strive imperfectly, do not. The brightness of the sun, which lights up the world. The brightness of the moon and of fire. These are my glory. With a drop of my energy, I enter the earth and support all creatures. Through the moon, the vessel of life-giving fluid, I nourish all plants. I enter breathing creatures and dwell within as the life-giving breath. I am the fire in the stomach which digests all food. Uh, again, so we move back to the idea of the oneness. And again, the translation loses a lot. You have to understand prana or chi, uh, prana, uh, prana, uh, prajna, in Sanskrit or Pali, and chi and ki, uh, in Chinese or Korean or Japanese, Vietnamese, the idea of uh, primal energy, your essence, uh, what powers you, for them, it's, you know, imbued by, you know, your archetype deity. In other senses, it's purely energy. In the Taoist sense, they'll even um, seek to harness and direct that flow of energy. In this case, it's just making you understand that all of it is a pattern. It's a pattern in a net. It's a cycle. 
It's all a part of this net. It's harder to harder to put uh, into another context there. But I'll go on and say, entering into every heart, I give the power to remember and understand. Right. So here it is. When you're first created in the Hindu pan, in the understanding, you're first created, Krishna imbues you with this Supreme Self. Uh, in Buddhism, it's the Tathagata Garbha. It's that storehouse of, our, storehouse of our Buddha nature. It gives the power to remember and understand. It gives you the power to remember that you are above your... Um, sense organs right and at the same time understand that uh, these same tools that can be used to delude and distract are also uh, given to use as a means for liberation and it goes on it is I again who take that power away all the scriptures lead to me. I am their author and their wisdom. Again, you can ignore an individual and just remember that you, that ultimate self, right? They all lead to you. You're all, everything is designed for you to realize that the goal is to realize liberations within yourself. It's the awareness that we're the cause of our own suffering. And at the same time, we can be the... Uh, the solution. In this world, there are two orders of being. The perishable, separate creature, and the changeless spirit. But, but beyond these, there is another, the supreme self. The eternal Lord, who enters into the entire cosmos and supports it from within. I love that final sentence, but let's just go back one touch. And, um, right, beyond these two, so in this world, there's two orders of being, the perishable, separate creature, and the changeless spirit. So, there's, again, we're talking about the ignorant, um, and you would say the, the yogi, the person who's looking to walk the path, to do better, to be better. So there's your two spirits, plus wants to remind us that beyond these, there's another, the Supreme Self. Um, the Supreme Self, again, as I said, it's not non, no self, it's not um, non-self, it's not all about the self, it's also being aware and discriminative as to what you will allow the self um, to direct, if anything, right? So in this case... He's talking about the Supreme Self, that, that within us that is imbued uh, with the power uh, to see through our own delusions and distractions uh, and see our ultimate nature, where, where we could be and what we could be. Uh, for in this case, they're talking about um, Brahman, your, your, um, your little piece of Krishna. And the eternal Lord, right, it can be Ishvara, but in Buddhism, the eternal Lord is also that Buddha, that the one who knows. And that eternal Lord is you within you. You have within you that ability 
to understand that you are both the cause and the source um, of your suffering and also right the uh, the the prescription the solution to the same the eternal Lord who enters into the entire cosmos and cosmos and supports it from within so I love how it goes back again it says it enters into the entire cosmos again you got to remember that the eternal Lord when when um, a being is first um, being created the eternal Lord imbues it with a little piece of himself but I love how it says the entire cosmos so it's again bringing back this idea that we are all one right we the the um, the supreme self is to realize that our ultimate nature is to be at one with everyone and everything. Uh, the Supreme Self is to know that we are to be selfless. And we are at one, but also no different than any other self. So the deluded self is the one that thinks we're different from, from any other person or being. I am the Supreme Self, praised by the Scriptures, is beyond the changing and the changeless. Again, undefinable, unknowable by our deluded um, selves. Those who see in me that Supreme Self see truly. They have found the source of all wisdom. Right. So those who see in me that Supreme Self see truly. Again, we could be talking about this external God or, or deity. But again, no, it goes back to talking about within you. Those who see in me, that supreme self, see truly. Those who see in themselves, the supreme self. Not the self that desires this or thinks it deserves that. But the self that sees itself as one and inseparable from all. They have found the source of all wisdom. It is the source of all wisdom. Because what do we seek? It's the meaning to life. If the meaning to life isn't an answer we can find, the truths of life is we find it inherently dissatisfying. And why? It's our ego, our desires rooted in selfish, selfish roots. And they worship me with all their heart. Oh, of course. If you realize the solution to every single problem is within oneself, how could you not worship that with all your heart? And finally, chapter 15 ends with, I have shared this profound truth with you, Arjuna. Those who understand it will attain wisdom. They will have done that which has to be done. So what is... It's that discerning awareness. It's remembering that the mind is the tool, but it needs to be kept in check. And the self is the vehicle with which we reach the other shore, the shore of liberation. But once... We reach that other shore. We have to let go. Attachment. But to maintain that is really the truth. 
right? It spoke earlier that, again, it's not a destination. It's a path. So it's not achieving that awareness or mindfulness. It's achieving that integration, that coalescence. It's residing in that awareness. Intrinsic awareness, as the Tibetans say. Why? Because intrinsic means it's already there and it's your default. Because that is our goal. So there's chapter 15 of the Bhagavad Gita.